Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Um, I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, And from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to gather and to worship you. It is something that we should hold very, very dear, as many places do not have that privilege. I pray now that you will help Joel to be able to explain this passage and help us to apply it to our lives. Thank you for all your many, many blessings to us. Amen. Before we jump into Isaiah, let me note that a little later in the service, we'll have a Q&A time. So as you listen and as we engage Isaiah chapter 43, do it actively. Think through together. What are the things that stick out to you? What are the ways in which this would look like in your own lives? And let's discuss later in the service. The prophet Isaiah is writing a long time ago. And the people that he is writing to have, uh, from the consequences of their own decisions, been carried off, and they find themselves oppressed, pushed in on, and struggling. And he's writing to them to help them think through this tension in life where you believe that there is a God and that he is good, but that you find yourself in the midst of a difficult period. You yourself are hurting. The people around you are struggling. And so it creates this tension of what is God doing in the midst of these circumstances? That's the context that Isaiah is writing into. He is bringing a word of hope to people of faith, to people whom God has made promises to, 
to people who God has bound himself to them through his covenant promises to say, I will be with you. And so for them, they wrestle with this question that as they try to be a faithful people, how do they do that in the midst of struggle? That is a perfect Advent question. For thousands of years now, the church in the four Sundays leading up to Christmas time has celebrated a season of Advent. Uh, Advent is a fancy word coming from Latin that means uh, arrival. As Christians now, we live between Jesus' first arrival and his incarnation in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, and we await, await his future second arrival. And so we find ourselves in this time of waiting, and for many of us this morning, with circumstances forced upon us where we may struggle, where things aren't going well, where we look around and say, if God has made these promises and he's good, then why is my life so hard? If you can relate to that question, to that tension at all, even just a little bit, then you are in the perfect spot to hear the words from Isaiah. And we're going to uh, work through it this morning. Uh, Isaiah's response to that tension, his answer to the people of God as they wait in the midst of struggle in three points— First, the power of the word. Second, presence with the people. And then third, the promise of a future. So first, the power of a word. In the lead up to chapter 43, Isaiah is describing uh, the difficulty that people face. The struggle with uh, their own individual circumstances, but then what they're facing corporately as a people. And I make note of that because it's important to understand that as Christians today, as people who turn to God in faith, trusting in his promises, the reality of suffering is not new. And there is no guarantee in turning to God in faith that life is unicorns and butterflies for you for the rest of your living days. It doesn't work that way. And so Isaiah is locating just the realities and the nuts and bolts in the close of chapter 42. And in 43, he says, but now. It is uh, this uh, divine disjunctive. Uh, but now uh, there is going to be some hope that we can turn to. It is this turning of their collective shoulders to God. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. And I'm just going to highlight in verse 7, he says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. At this difficult spot. Isaiah is bracketing God's word to his people who are waiting in the midst of struggle with a reminder of God's power. He is the one who created the world in which we live. So do you catch that? In verse 1 he says, look, thus says the Lord, 
he who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. And then in verse 7, he says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. In verses 1 and 7, he's bracketing, he's putting on the front end and back end of this passage a reminder of just who is speaking this word of hope into this moment of struggle. One of my good friends is an emergency room doctor in Texas, and uh, he says that life as an emergency room physician is not like what you see on TV. Uh, It's not often where people are coming in through the door who they are in real-life emergency situations in need of uh, uh, some sort of medical intervention just right in that moment or else they won't make it. That that's uh, sometimes what he experiences, but oftentimes what he experiences is people who come through the door uh, who are uncertain about what's going on in their life. And they have nowhere else to go, and so they've come in through his doors to see him. And we talked about that, how not everything that comes into an emergency room, not everyone who arrives in an emergency department is experiencing a true emergency. So then why do they come? And my friend's thought is that often they come because when they look to him and he comes into the room and he says, you're going to make it today. I'm going to give you a prescription and you're going to go home and everything's going to be all right. That it is uh, this person, uh, it is the white lab coat effect. Uh, this person comes in in their scrubs and their lab coat with their stethoscope around their neck. And because they have uh, listened to your heart and lungs, because they've run some tests, when they tell you everything's going to be okay, there is some effect because of who the person is who's saying it, right? And so kids on the playground, if one of your friends tells you oh, it's going to be okay, then you give that as much weight as it's worth. But if mom or dad takes a look at everything and says it's going to be okay, then maybe you believe it more. Just like my friend in the emergency room when someone's experiencing some sort of health crisis. Oftentimes there can be a proportionate effect to who we hear the news from. So if you open a fortune cookie and it tells you what your future is going to be like, you give that as much weight as it's worth. Here in Isaiah, in the midst of our struggles, God is laying claim to the power of his word. This is not merely a flex, but it is God reminding them just who he is and what he brings when he delivers this good word. This isn't just some sort of religious jargon to help you make it to the next day. This is the God who created the world and all that is in it. So when he comes to his people and delivers a good word, a word of hope. It is a word that carries the power of a creator. It is the word that God alone in his might, in his majesty, can deliver to us. So part of coming to worship at Mosaic Silver Spring is not just hearing from me, and it's not just connecting to one another, as valuable as those things may be. Part of why Christians come to Scripture is to hear from God himself. To hear an inspired word that God has given to his people. That's why we don't just pick up any other book or just read any other text or just scroll on our phones for uh, what God may be doing in the world. But why we uniquely have Scripture as an authoritative word, a powerful word to speak into our 
tense moments. So God gives the power of his word, but he goes further, actually. He talks about his presence with the people. There is this repetition throughout the text where God personally calls them by name and uses this I and you language. So in verse 1b, the second half of verse 1, he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. It may feel common for us to call one another by name, but that's not true across all cultures. That's not true across all times and places where you can be so intimate as to call someone by their name as opposed to their title or their surname or their position. But here, God, in, I think, a personal way, certainly in the context of Isaiah, says, I call out to you. God reminds them of his redemption and his personal redemption, his promise that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame, it shall not consume you. The first thing may be obvious that the people here, they're struggling. Uh, They are walking through the equivalent. This is a metaphor of fire, right? Uh, They are in the fire of life, individually and corporately. They feel like they're taking on water. That the circumstances are buffeting them from side to side. And they wonder, can I just keep my head above water? And it's in those moments that God is not only promising some form of deliverance, he is saying, I will be with you in the midst of your struggle. Well, that's a bit more meaningful. God, in this personal way, is reaching out to us to say, I will be present with you in the midst of your suffering. It's an amazing thing that God created the world and the one who is powerful enough to create the world by the power of his word uh, not only does that, but he doesn't stand far off. He comes near to us. And he comes near to us not only in our good times, but even in the midst of our darkest moments. Even when we feel like we are about to be overwhelmed, even when we are lost and don't know where to turn, God says, that's not too far away for me to reach you. I am present with you even in those moments. God's steadfast and unfailing love for us, not because we earned it and not because we're owed it, but the opposite of that, because God is God. And he offers us, invites us to receive his grace, to be present with us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggle. That is what makes this word not only powerful, but that we can turn to God's presence with us. So the power of his word, the presence with his people, and then the promise of a future. In verses 5 through 7, uh, where in verse 3, it's likely that God, I, I think here, we should understand this as looking back to what God has done in things like the exodus to deliver his people. But in verse 5 through 7, so he looks back, there's a looking forward to what God will do. And I want you to note the expansive nature of God's grace. God is saying not merely I'm going to be present with you in the midst of this one time period, but uh, I am doing something in the world with and through you. There is an expansive nature of God's grace. 
He unpacks it, fear not, for I am with you. Again, reiterating his presence, I will bring your offspring from the east. This idea of the future, other generations, more than just you individually, but God's grace extends beyond you. So I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. There's this expansive and inclusive nature of God's grace as God looks forward to what he's doing by his power of redemption and through his presence with his people, it calls out to you. You can't get too far north to be removed uh, from God's grace. You can't go too far south where somehow you're disqualified from what God is doing. You can't go too far east or too far west to not be invited in to God's work of redemption. And in a fairly unique way, at least in the Old Testament, there's mention here to not just men or sons, but a specific word to daughters. And so women who are here today, I think it's important to note that in Isaiah's prophecy, as he is engaging his people and as he's speaking this word of hope and encouragement, It includes not merely the sons, but the daughters as well. And in the ancient Near Eastern world and in the Old Testament as we have it, this isn't a common occurrence, but at least here, and I think it happens with more repetition in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, but it's noteworthy that here in Isaiah 43, to you women, God speaks explicitly of you being included and invited in. So as he speaks to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west, he says that he will bring his sons from afar and his daughters from the ends of the earth. And so there's a sense of just what God is doing here. As he looks ahead, it is going to be expansive. You're not going to be able to be removed from it. It's going to be multi-generational. It's going to include women and men. And as we come to find out, it's going to cross cultures and ethnicity. There's not going to be any demographic or nation that's going to be left out of God's redemptive work. So that what starts in this very specific time frame to the people of Israel some long time period ago, where we can relate because we experienced the tensions of waiting in the midst of difficulty, we're invited in to do more than just that. We're invited in to relate because we're now a part of the East, West, North, South, women, men, everything. We're included into God's expansive view of grace. So how does he do this? How does he accomplish it? Some 500 years after writing this, when Jesus arrives and begins his ministry, he declares that he is the powerful word through which God is going to make good on these expansive promises. When Jesus comes and he begins to announce that his kingdom has arrived, he begins to invite people in uh, who aren't only... Uh, from one ethnicity or culture, who don't only have certain political views or ideologies, who aren't only educated in certain ways or make a certain amount of money or who have followed a certain set of rules. Jesus' invitation is for everyone who has ears to hear and eyes to see the gracious and powerful work of God. 
That is the expansiveness of Jesus' invitation. So that when he takes on the sin of the world, it's not just for one small group. It is making good on this promise that as far as the east from the west and the north to the south, uh, for all who have ears to hear, God's promises bring about deliverance and redemption. The presence with God's people in the midst of the fire and water I think metaphorical, metaphorical language there become clear to us through Jesus' work on the cross where he's present with his people, identifying with them so closely that he takes on himself their sin, paying the price for it and extending to us this expansive offer of God's grace through Christ's death and resurrection. That's the good news for Christians. And so as this promise for a future, one that includes people from across the world, that includes women and men, that includes generations to come, this promise of an expansive, gracious future is made good on by Jesus. And I think it challenges us to say, well, what kind of community are we going to be when it comes to waiting in the midst of our own struggle? Will we be a community that turns to the power of God in the midst of our hardship? Are we going to be a community that not only believes that God is present with us by the power of his spirit in the midst of our difficulty, but that we extend his expansive offer for a future hope to our neighbors? When we come across people who are struggling, and there's no lack of struggling if you talk to people beyond what their name is and what they do for a living or where they go to school uh, or what they're interested in, if you begin to hear their stories, there's no lack of struggle. There's no lack of hurt or hardship. But in those moments as a community, Mosaic Silver Spring, we have a few different choices of how we can respond The first is we can run from those kinds of people. We can believe that uh, uh, chronic uh, illness or pain or mental health issues, those things are contagious. Uh, So let's run from them because we just don't want to get close lest that get off on me somehow. And I know saying that you may think, oh, that's silly. And yet so often uh, through superstition and through uh, disinterest and through Uh, just a concern uh, that I think stems from selfishness. We can run from people who are hurting uh, out of fear. Let's be a community that when we come across people who are struggling, we don't run from them from fear, but we're reminded of God's power and presence with us. You can respond to people who are struggling in the midst of a time of waiting through judgment as well. If only they made better decisions. If only they were friends with a better crowd. Uh, If only they would have followed instructions. There can be a judgment when people are suffering that we put it off on them somehow. If just they would have done better. And we think uh, that immunizes us from uh, letting it sink in that these are Uh, fellow human beings, image bearers, people in our lives who we have the opportunity to engage. So we have to be careful to not become like Job's friends, 
Uh, that's a story in Scripture that you can read on your own time. It's a bit long, a bit challenging, but it's good. And pretend that we know exactly why people suffer and stand in the position of judging them. But there's a third option. If running is an option, if judging is an option, there's a third option, which is we can love them. We can, out of the overflow of God's grace to us and his presence with us, we as a church community can function that way for people who are actually hurting, where we are present with them. And we do it as the overflow of God's grace to us. We can do that individually in our own lives. We can do that corporately as a church when people reach out and contact us and say, we need help. We have teams in place who do those very things, the diaconal ministry team being one. We can build connections and networks, not to just advance our own position, but to find counselors who are wise and who can help people in the midst of their hardship and then use those connections to introduce and resource people so that they can find spots to work through their difficulties in times of need. And later today, as we receive the Mercy Fund, that is an explicit way where we are trying to lean into the struggles of people around us. Where we're saying, yeah, we're going to give to that. And I say that last not because um, I'm afraid to talk about money. And uh, not uh, for any other reason other than to say, I don't want us to fall into the trap of we can just uh, give Uh, from our financial resources is a way to keep us from engaging people who are struggling. Being present with others who are hurting, it's so hard to do. And it's why church is a corporate thing. I think it's why God gives us a community of people to support us so that it's not always just on us individually to carry the load, but whereas collectively we can work together. Let us be a community that doesn't run from people who are hurting, that doesn't judge those who are struggling, but who loves people well out of an overflow of the grace of God. That's my prayer for Mosaic Silver Spring in not only the season of Advent, but in the days and weeks, months and years ahead. Let me pray that God will strengthen us to that end. Our Father, I ask that you will be with us. You have promised to do that, to be present even in our difficult moments. I ask that as a community, we would think through how does Mosaic be present with the people and place that you have put us around and have located us in for this period in our lives. Let that be motivated and driven along by your example, Jesus, and the ways in which you have loved us. Out of the overflow of the grace and mercy that we have received, let us be gracious and kind and loving and steadfast with those who are struggling. I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.